Wonderful, wonderful to be reminded today of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we come today to celebrate who Christ is and to celebrate the salvation and the work that he has accomplished on our behalf. And today we have so much opportunity and so much reason to worship him and praise him for who he is. I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 verses 44 through 49 will be our focus text this morning. And I want to talk to you about the glory that's in the midst of darkness. Glory that is in the midst of darkness. You know, we do serve a great God, do we not? We serve an awesome God who leads us and guides us and he has provided for us in so many different ways. Even in the dark moments, even in some of the darkest moments of our lives and of the story of salvation, we have seen his glory. And here in this passage, we know that it is through the cross and it is through the dark moment that God will reflect he will reveal his glory. It's sometimes strange to think how you could glory in such difficult moments. It's sometimes strange to think how Paul would look at the Galatians and he would say, I will glory in nothing else except the cross of Christ. And yet for us, especially on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection, we understand that it is only through the cross, it is only through the resurrection, it is only through the Christ story that we can glory. And I want to show you this morning how God takes this difficult moment, this dark moment in history, and he redeems it in such a way that he reveals his glory. This is the way Luke describes that moment. He says, Now it was about the sixth hour, about noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. And then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. The whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Such a difficult moment in the life of so many as Jesus Christ hung upon the cross. Here Luke gives us these final three hours of Jesus' life. And in it, I believe you see the glory of God demonstrated. I want to show you today, as we work through these verses, how God demonstrated his glory. Because look at this. With God, with God, the darkness, the darkness simply gives away or turns away to light. The darkness, it fades away into light. It says in verse 44 that at the sixth hour, about noon, there's darkness over all the earth. Can you imagine how eerie that must have felt? I mean, noon is usually when you think of the light of the day. And there's, everything is bright and it's consuming. And yet here it says that it was at noon, darkness overwhelmed the earth. Now, we've tried to find 
different natural explanations of this. Some people have said, well, it must have been like a, a solar eclipse and it must have been some other things that, that happened. And yet there's nothing necessarily in nature that says this is why the darkness consumed this earth. Nature certainly, as Herschel Hobbes said, rebelled, rebelled in a sense as it saw its creator being crucified. But it was some miraculous, momentous moment where God had demonstrated, he had demonstrated judgment upon sin itself in this moment of darkness. You know, darkness is associated, especially in the Bible, with apocalyptic literature, that literature that is consumed with like end times, end times, about this moment, the end time, the end result, the end purpose coming here. And here darkness consumes not only to demonstrate, I think, the difficulty of the moment or the sorrow of the moment, but I think as you read through it and as you understand what Christ is doing on the cross of providing the ultimate sacrifice for us, you recognize how darkness reflects the judgment of God upon sin. Now think of that a moment. How Jesus Christ is dying upon the cross. He is dying a death by crucifixion. Crucifixion is such a horrendous death that Roman citizens themselves could not be crucified. Roman citizens, there was no way a Roman citizen could be crucified because it was so horrendous and so horrible. And yet here's Jesus dying on the cross. And he is dying to pay for our sins. That's the reason he's dying. The darkness of sin itself and the crucifixion. And yet, on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection, what do we know? We know that that darkness, which symbolized the judgment and the sin, it also gives away to light. It turns away to light. Because for us, as we look back at this and see this moment, we understand that we have light today because of Christ. We have the light of forgiveness itself in our hearts and lives, right? To be such a dark moment in history and such a dark moment in the redemptive story, it actually turns out to bring light into our lives. With God... Disaster. With God, darkness gives way to light. With God, get this, with God, disaster gives way to liberty. Disaster. Where is that? Well, it says in verse 45, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil which hung between uh, the sanctuary, basically, and the holy of holies. It was torn in two. Now, a tear. Usually, a tear is associated with something negative, right? If something is torn, unless you're at a Louisiana Tech basketball game, right? Some of you who go or you say, you know. I mean, certainly in Louisiana Tech basketball game, when we win, there's the tearing. And I'm so proud that guy can do it better than I can. But usually if you hear a tear, if something is torn, maybe this morning you got up and you put on some of your great uh, clothes or maybe this week you tried on your Easter outfit and you looked and it was torn. That would have caused you some disturbance, right? You wouldn't have 
thought of that in a positive way. Well, think here that the temple veil is torn from top to bottom. That temple veil, which again prevented just an ordinary individual from coming into the Holy of Holies. It really prevented anybody except the, the high priest who would come in on the Day of Atonement. It, it would prevent anybody from just coming in. And yet, it's torn. That seems disastrous. And how in the world could that happen? Well, the Jewish Talmud says that it was around A.D. 30 that there was an earthquake. Well, we could have told them that, right? That there was an earthquake. There was a shaking. There was something that caused that to be torn. And while that would look like something negative, God redeems it and he demonstrates his glory by doing what? He says, now I'm giving you liberty. Giving you freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom basically to enter into the very presence of God. Get this. Jesus Jesus removed all barriers from us, from the average individual. He removed all barriers so that guess what we can do? We can come right before the very presence of God. The writer of Hebrews would capture it this way in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says that we can go right into the very presence of God and we can, we can call for mercy and we can call for grace. You and I have access to the Father because Jesus Christ, through the cross, paid all of our sin debt and removed every obstacle and every barrier so that we could go directly to Him. The glory in the midst of the darkness. You see, with disaster, with God, disaster gives way to liberty. But continue to read. Because in verse 46, we see that with God, the death of this event, the death actually gives way to the life. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my Spirit, having said this, he breathed his last. Notice here, Jesus is still in control to the very end, right? We are told in Scripture that no one took Jesus' life. He did what? He laid it down willingly, voluntarily. Nobody took his life. The Romans, the Jewish leaders, nobody took his life. He had full authority at all times. And even to the end, Jesus was the one who decided when his spirit would go to the Father's hands. Now this was Jesus' fulfillment of his ministry and his mission. Remember the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible? First recorded words, Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. And he's come, and he's lived, and he's executed the father's business now he is dying a purposeful death a voluntary death death i mean what good could be associated with death again especially a death upon the cross what good could be associated with that 
And yet, Jesus demonstrates how death can bring life. He's in full control. He's allowed the Father to uh, have authority over his life. And now he is allowing the Father to have the authority over his death. He basically, in life and in death, he trusts God. Right? I'm committing my spirit into your hands. Voluntarily dying. Purposeful. I remember when I was in Picayune. And I began going out to some of the shut-ins homes while I was there. And uh, serving the Lord's Supper to them. It was, uh, it was really a, some great moments. I, I wished I could capture those moments and just uh, explain them well to you. But you'd almost have to be there to just experience going out to some of those who were shut-ins who could not come to the worship service and sharing the Lord's Supper with them. But it, it was a wonderful time. And I remember I went down to uh, see Mr. Wilford and Miss Hilda Wise. Mr. Wilford and Miss Hilda. And let me tell you, these folks were from the backwoods of Mississippi. You think I am? You hadn't seen anything. You go down there, they were very self-sufficient. They had their own little mill where they would cut their, uh, the logs and different things. They, would, they had a dairy at one point. They, basically, they didn't need the outside world for much of anything. And I went in there that day and to, uh, to serve the Lord's Supper with them. And man, I was... I was a young preacher back then, and I thought I knew everything when it came down to it. I mean, I had memorized lines of the way you were to do the Lord's Supper, and, and I had it all worked out. And I made a statement. I said something like, as we took the, the cup, I made the statement, something, something to the effect, uh, we are taking the blood that was spilled for us. And Miss Hilda said, hold on just a minute. Now look. When I'm preaching or I'm sharing, I'm not really prepped for you to say, hold on just a minute. I don't care. All right? That might throw me. You think I get thrown sometimes. That would throw me. And Miss Hilda, though, she, she didn't care at that moment. She said, she, hold on just a minute. I said, uh, yes, ma'am. She said, you said spilled. When I said, yeah, you know, the blood was spilled for us. I mean, there was a good song. Remember the good song? Broken and spilled out. That was a song years ago we would sing. And she said, hmm. I thought, hmm. I'm the preacher here. <laughs> she said, I do not like that word. And I said, why do you not like that word? Miss Hilda says, you know, when you spill something, it communicates an accident. When you spill something, you're thinking that it happened accidentally. She looked at me and she said, My Savior did not die accidentally. I said, Miss Hilda, I can't argue with you. As a matter of fact, I agree with you. You'll never hear me say that word again. But Jesus purposely and purposefully shed his blood. Willingly. 
Even here, he is in control. Father, I commit my life, my spirit into your hands. Jesus is in control even upon the cross when it looks like he's not. When it looks like that all of the enemies of God have prevailed, Jesus is still in control. And with God, the death gives way to life. Because we know that through his death, we actually have life. Didn't Jesus say, didn't Jesus say in John chapter 12, verse 24, that unless a kernel of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, unless it does that, you will experience no crop, no produce, no fruit. If it remain, it says, if, if it doesn't die, it simply remains alone. But if it dies, that, that kernel of wheat that you plant and die, it dies in the ground, basically it brings forth fruit. A metaphor for Jesus' life and death. Because you see, as Jesus was crucified, as he gave his life, as he died for us, we have life. It's hard to see at the moment. I mean, if you're there at the cross and you're seeing this event, it is hard to imagine. But somehow on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection, you understand the glory in the midst of the darkness. You understand the life that we have. And Michelle was singing a moment ago, I almost forgot I was Baptist. Almost. I wanted to shout. I wanted to proclaim with her and this choir that it is through the blood that we have found life. You know why I wanted to do that? Because I've experienced life. Because through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, I've experienced life and I have experienced salvation. And it leads me to that point of glory, of just taking moment to glory in the cross for what he has accomplished, what he has achieved because he has brought life. With God, the defendant, well, the defendant gives way to the Lord. I want you to see in verse 47, it says, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Now get this, the centurion, the one who's been tasked with carrying out this deed, this moment, he looks at Jesus and he notices the way he faces death and he has recognized this process and he proclaims, this man is righteous. Now this man was the defendant, right? He was the guy that had been on trial, various trials, all throughout the night. He had been condemned. He had been convicted. And yet now, centurion says, oh, this man, this defendant, he is righteous, innocent. Now, I believe Dr. Luke, who was writing to a predominantly Gentile audience, I think he was making sure that all of these who read that came from a Gentile background, they would see that the Gentiles themselves, they recognized, like the centurion recognized that Jesus was innocent. 
Later on, when he'll write the book of Acts, over and over again, you'll have Gentile rulers who will basically proclaim the innocence of the Christians. And I think Luke is emphasizing that here, but I think it even goes beyond. I think it complements Matthew's gospel. Remember in Matthew what he says the centurion does, basically? He proclaims that this one is the son of God. So here you have a defendant. Here you have a case. Here you have all these things that have happened. And what, what God does is demonstrate the lordship of Jesus. Now, it wasn't that he became Lord. Jesus was always Lord. What God does through this event, though, is to demonstrate once again the lordship of Christ. Glory in the midst of darkness. And in verse 48 and verse 49, I hope that you can feel the emotion of these passages. I hope maybe for, for just a few minutes you could insert yourself here in these verses. Because it says, And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. Basically, the whole crowd looked with this emotion to this event. To see what a horrible, dark moment this was, they beat their breast. And it says, though, in verse 49, but all his acquaintances, all his acquaintances, and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The sorrow that overwhelmed them. The sadness. I mean, you're standing there at the cross, and there's Jesus that you've had this relationship with. So many have followed him. They've given their lives to him. And now he has just died after some six hours on the cross. He has died. Can't imagine the emotion they must have felt, those followers. The emotion that they felt. The anguish. The despair. But get this. With God, the despair gives way to the laughter. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, certainly there's the despair. And I take nothing away from that. I take nothing away from the sorrow that they must have felt. But three days later, it is not despair. It is victory. And it is laughter. And it is joy. Because they recognize that Jesus Christ, who died, is now alive. And I know next week is Easter, and I know that's when we're supposed to talk about the resurrection. But my friend, I live in the resurrection every day. And every Sunday we are informed by the resurrection power in our lives. And where we get to a moment of despair, we have to just think of God's power and his work in the resurrection. And all of a sudden we can see the glory in the midst of the darkness. Do you see how God takes these things, these, this darkness, 
this disaster, this death, this defendant, this despair, and he transforms them. He gives way to so many other wonderful things to look at. The light, the liberty, the life, the Lord, the laughter, how God transformed. This informs me two ways as we close. Listen to me. One, for salvation itself. I mean the cross. It looked like it was a sign of a sign of humility. It looked like a sign that was designed only for a criminal. And it was horrendous. And it was horrible. And yet what did God do? God used the cross to provide for us salvation. He redeemed it. He glorified the cross itself. And because of that today, get this, you and I who have accepted the Lord Jesus, we are saved. We are saved. Because of our faith and repentance in this God. Absolutely. So that informs my salvation. And I would say to you today that if you've never given your heart and life to Christ... Listen, Jesus Christ has demonstrated his love to you. He has demonstrated how much he loved you. Willing to pay the ultimate sin price to be the substitute. And I would say to you this morning, if you have not accepted Christ, come and run to him this morning. Because this blood will save you from your sins. You can see the glory in the midst of that darkness. It informs my salvation. It informs my service. Because as I go along and as I've been saved and I recognize some moments in my life, I will tell you that there are some dark, difficult days that I face and that you will face. There will be some moments that you'll look and you'll think, how in the world can God use such things to accomplish his kingdom's purposes. But I say to you, if God can take the cross and bring good, bring salvation, bring forgiveness, bring life, if through the cross we can glory, then God can take whatever you have faced and whatever situation that you find yourself in, and he can redeem it for something good. And glorious. You see, there is glory in the midst of darkness. And I hope today, again, that each and every one of us, that we have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. If we haven't, let's get that taken care of here during this moment of invitation. If we have, we're facing other things. May we come once again and commit our lives into the hands of the Father. That he may use those circumstances and situations to bring him honor and glory. Would you listen to God today and would you respond to his call in your life? Let's pray. Father, I praise you this morning. God, you have spoken through our moments of worship, 
through the opening of your word. God, this morning I pray in this place for that individual that's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. God, today in this place, I pray that your blood would flow over them as they come in faith and repentance. I pray, Lord, they'd be saved. God, for some of us who are in this place who've gone through some difficult, dark days, Lord, I pray that we would, again, run to you. And, Lord, that you would use whatever we're going through for your honor and your glory. God, help us to see. Help us to see the glory in the midst of the darkness. We pray it now in Jesus' name.